0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is the point.
1: Welcome to the point and opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. In May 2003, then-Romanian Prime Minister Adrian Nastase visited China while the country was facing an unexpected SARS outbreak. How have bilateral relations developed over the past decade and how has the geopolitical landscape changed? Elia was pleased to be joined by Adrian Nastase, former Romanian Prime Minister from Bucharest, Romania. Your Excellency, thank you so much for accepting our interview. Let me first take us back in time a little bit and go back to that very special period of time in 2003 when China was experiencing this uh, SARS pandemic and or SARS epidemic. But um, people like you did not shun the country away. Rather, you came and visit China during that uh, difficult period of time. Help us us understand what made you do that and uh, what memories you can share with us now.
2: Indeed, uh, 2003, uh, the pandemic at the time, SARS represented a critical moment uh, for China. And uh, it was uh, at the time, uh, if we try to remember the very moment It was after uh, the change of leadership, political leadership in China. And uh, it was, in a way, a test if the new leadership could resist economically and politically uh, to a kind of embargo. Because uh, at that uh, moment, uh, because of SARS, uh, China was under a huge pressure I uh, visited China many times. I knew, as a foreign minister uh, back in 1990s, I had long discussions with Chen Qi Cheng and other um, other outstanding leaders of China, and uh, I knew that it was a very important moment for the Chinese new leadership, and that's why I wanted to break that embargo. And uh, well. Uh, I think that my visit had a a, a strong impact, not only in China, but also internationally. But uh, once again, uh, I think that you have to put that in context. Uh, uh, For uh, Romania, before uh, 1989, before the changes in the world, in Romania, in China, well, China was, um, what I would say, uh, a kind of a safety net, a kind of a very important partner. Because uh, Romania had uh, a kind of a special position in between East and West, tried to uh, be independent uh, in a bipolar world at that time. And China was very important, especially in 1968, when uh, the Soviet Union invaded uh, uh, in Czechoslovakia, Romania didn't involve in that action, but it was with the support of China that, uh, well, it didn't have the same, uh, the same outcome uh, with uh, eventually Soviet, eventually, uh, Soviet invention uh, in, uh, in Romania. Uh, But uh, there were some other moments when Romania and China had uh, a very uh, important uh, bilateral relationship, and that's why uh, when you think about uh, 2003 uh, uh, SARS uh, visit, you have uh, once again to put that in contact and to remember what the Chinese are always saying: um, the friends. Uh, The real friends are tested when you are in need. The sense was very clear and I tried uh, all the time to follow uh, that uh, line of uh, thinking about the bilateral relationship. So once again, uh, uh, it's a lot of nostalgia in uh, coming out with with this answer.
1: I think the word, the phrase you meant, "a friend in need is a friend indeed," could be translated into Chinese, Huan nan jian qing, That's what we normally say. Yeah, when people <laughs> come to your help in moments of difficulty, that's true friendship. That's true feelings. China, as a socialist country with Chinese characteristics, but also um, cons- painted as a growing threat. Right, and China becoming stronger, of course, it has also more of its interest to protect and to promote in the world. And in that process, there are misunderstandings, there are uh, misperceptions. Um, so, where to go next? Do you think this is a temporary period of adjustment? Uh, do you have confidence that things will eventually back on track? What can be done?
2: It is uh, a time uh, when. Everything seems to be uh, taken from scratch. The order uh, not uh, created uh, after the Second World War clear will be replaced. It's clear that uh, Russia seemed frustrated uh, by several actions of NATO, uh, of uh, the US. The changes uh, in China were also very important. The world before '89 was bipolar, the Soviet Union and the United States. Now, China has an important role, not only as a member of the Security Council, but as a real great power. And, uh, uh, well, uh, I, uh, I have seen a very interesting document, uh, which was produced by the Foreign Ministry of China, Uh, Your reality check uh, was a long document about some of the accusations made in the United States about the developments in China. And the idea, uh, which in my opinion is uh, correct, is that every country needs to be taken with its own history, its own values, its own problems, uh, its own uh, territory, uh, its own population issues of uh, various kinds. You cannot impose from the outside uh, your own values on another country. And I think it was an interesting document. But coming back to what I was saying about uh, this new uh, organization of the world, which is now well, some of the people consider that we have entered in a new Cold War. Perhaps that we have different actors, and you have. Uh, we have not only uh, well a concern on, uh, let's say, uh, Europe and Atlantic, uh, European and Atlantic uh, area, but well, uh, Asia and Pacific became very important, and with a new uh, uh, concern for creating uh, regional security arrangements there. I think it is something that we have to take into account. China has an important role. United States wanted to move from Europe to Asia and Pacific. So there are a lot of things changing. The West is changing. The East, anyway, changed a lot. Mm-hmm. China is changing a lot uh, and has uh, an important uh, say uh, in, in the world of today.
1: Right. Um, do you think there's a gap between your understanding of China and the kind of general tendency in perceptions? about china because you have been to china many times not every romanian had that kind of opportunity you understand china better and you have a historical perspective as well do you think there is a gap in terms of the general public's perception of china not just in romania but in other countries as well
2: in other countries uh, mainly but i remember well i go back again to uh, 1990 the visit of uh, minister Chen Chichen to, to Romania. I uh, invited at a dinner uh, the leader of the opposition in Romania at that time, Ion Ratiu, and uh, he was criticizing uh, the Chinese leadership at that time. And uh, uh, well, uh, Chen Chichen, uh, a very wise man uh, that I admired a lot, said, look, uh, what is the population of Romania? said uh you right said 22 million and he said look this is uh, uh, well uh, the number of uh, the, the chinese uh, well uh, being born uh, every year so we have to to give them food uh, jobs uh, housing whatever so do you think that we we can uh, afford to to leave Mm -hmm. them uh, without the control of the society on those issues. And then he invited Idion Razio in China. He visited Razio, he visited China, Mm -hmm. and when he came back, uh, he had different views. So I think it is important that uh, for those who visit China, who understand the magnitude of the changes, Uh, By the way, I am a member of uh, the uh, independent experts uh, at the CIIC, uh, Shanghai Institute of International Studies, Mm -hmm. and uh, I visited uh, also Shanghai several times. It's a huge change since uh, I visited before uh, that city, but also Beijing. So I think uh, more, uh, well, the people uh, see, understand the changes, uh, the standards of living, right. the policy uh, of the leadership. Well, they will change their perception, which is uh, in which has been introduced uh, in a kind of manipulation, of course, uh, due to the new organization of the world and uh, the kind of interests of the big powers uh, in uh, in the media, in uh, social media. So, I think uh, it is important to to fuel that perception with as much information as possible about
1: China. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, a pandemic has made it difficult over the past few years, but uh, eventually things will open up and uh, there will be more opportunities. Finally, finally, we're running over time, but I do want to get this question. Um, This year, the Communist Party of China will convene the 20th National Congress in Beijing. Uh, What are your expectations? What will you be paying attention to?
2: I know uh, that uh, the Congress uh, of uh, the Communist Party is an excellent opportunity for an in-depth analysis of internal uh, policies, but also of international affairs. I am sure that, uh, well, uh, a lot of new ideas uh, and new measures will be taken Um, with a view of uh, preparing for uh, 2050 uh, as a a target.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Adrian Nastase, former Romanian prime minister. Thank you for your time.
2: Thank you very much.
1: After the break, a new report says China's efforts to fight air pollution have added an average of two years to people's lives. How did China do it? Stay tuned.
0: Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point.
1: Air pollution continues to be a daunting challenge across the world, but a new report points to China as an important beacon of progress. According to a latest report published by Chicago University, particulate pollution in China has declined by 40 percent since 2013, when the Chinese government declared a war against pollution. While it took several decades for the US and Europe to achieve the same reductions, the drop has also added two years onto the average life expectancy in China. What enabled China to make its air cleaner while also growing its economy? What still needs to be tackled? Earlier I spoke to the curator of the report, Professor Michael Greenstone, director of the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago. He previously served as the chief economist for President Obama's Council of Economic Advisers. So, Professor Greenstone, thank you very much for joining us. Um, straight away, help us understand more about the latest air quality life index report that you have uh, produced. Um, there are a lot of pollution reports out there, but uh, this one looks different because it uh, links air quality with life expectancy. Um, its impact on the number of years that people can live. So what kind of model did, you, did your team use to come up with such a conclusion?
0: Yeah, so thank you for the question. Uh, so the model actually was born of some research. I was very frustrated by uh, the AQI and other air quality indices because I could never remember is brown better than purple, is better than orange, is worse than blue. Uh, and it never was unclear, it was always unclear to me what it meant for my life. Uh, and so I conducted a series of studies that related long term air, uh, air pollution exposure to life expectancy. Uh, and then I took the results from those studies uh, and used them to create this air quality life index. Uh, and it provides a measure for what would happen anywhere in the world if air pollution there were improved to any levels so, and could be the country's own level. Uh, standard or the WHO standard.
1: So how long have you been using this model to track the impact of air quality on life expectancy?
0: So I think we've been using it for about uh, five years. Uh, And, you know, the striking finding that comes from it is that the average person on the planet uh, is losing about two years of life expectancy to air quality relative to if they lived uh, with air pollution concentrations at the World Health Organization standard and that two years of life expectancy is more than the average person loses uh, from alcoholism or smoking cigarettes or terrorism or war or anything like that. So I think of it as the greatest external threat to human well-being on the planet that exists currently.
1: Is this trend aggravating? Is this trend uh, being alleviated because of efforts of major countries, for instance, Um, and also help us understand the latest findings about China in specifics, please?
0: Yeah. So what's very striking is uh, if you took China out uh, and just looked at the rest of the world, there probably in the last year would have been a slight increase in uh, air pollution. Uh, That is a worsening well-being. But... All of the decline that has happened in the world has really taken place in China. And all of that improvement is started uh, and kind of followed pretty directly from when the premier, or China itself, declared a war on pollution in 2013. Uh, And since then, there's been a 40% improvement uh, in air pollution in China and it's striking Uh, No matter how, what way you look at the data, uh, it's really an amazing reduction in air pollution in a kind of unprecedentedly short period of time.
1: The report also says due to improvements made to the air quality that you just mentioned, the average Chinese person can expect to live two years longer. I mean, that is quite remarkable. So how did you come up with this figure? How did you, you know, calculate given? The, the size the diversity of it and you know it's air quality versus live expectancy how did you make the link
0: so first let me just clarify the two years means if air pollution which has come down stayed at the levels it is permanently relative to permanently staying uh, at the higher levels then people would live uh, two years longer on average and it comes from a natural experiment uh, where one uh, set of people were exposed to very high levels of air pollution for their whole lives and another uh, to lower uh, levels of air pollution. And what you see is in the places where people have higher levels of air pollution, uh, you see elevated rates of mortality, not just among the young and the old, but at all age categories. Uh, And it's almost all concentrated in cardiorespiratory causes of death, which are uh, plausibly related to air pollution. So there's a very tight link uh and you you know what the improvements in china as you said have uh increased life expectancy uh by about two years but i I just want to unpack that like two years is a number you know underneath that number are like kids dying too young uh people being sick older people dying prematurely and like you know just a lot of a lot of hardship really right Uh, and so uh, two years is appealing because it's easy to say but you know, these are real lives, real people, uh, and you know reductions in air pollution allow people to lead much richer, uh, fuller lives.
1: So basically you're saying if the air quality in China would have been the same since 2013, for instance, or even gone worse, uh, the Chinese average life expectancy would have been reduced by two years. Is that what you're saying?
0: relative to the current levels yes
1: and considering the size of the Chinese population 1.4 billion so that is actually you know quite a bit of an effort you know if you have 1.4 billion people in each um, expecting to live two years longer than they would have that is uh, quite remarkable I mean how reliable <laughs> yeah go ahead no, I was
0: gonna say it's hard to come up with a policy uh, that is uh, has larger benefits. <laughs> but wow. just as you said the chinese population is so large and these gains in life expectancy are, are are quite large
1: it's really quite incredible i mean we know the chinese government did a lot we know the chinese people also gave up a lot for instance we, we can't do barbecue in open spaces in beijing for instance so we kind of just you know got rid of that uh, that yearning you know if you know what i mean but uh, still the winter
0: heating policy i think has changed dramatically as well
1: yeah tremendously and people the transition has not been an easy one because you have to break away your old habits and adopt a new way of heating up your home which might not be so economically affordable either but uh Do you have additional materials or other sources which might validate or verify this result? I mean, are you the only one coming up with this research?
0: No, no, so uh, that's a terrific question. So this is based on a series of papers that I published. Uh, They were published in a leading, uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, both of them uh, in 2013 and 2017. And, you know, they were peer reviewed at the highest levels. the numbers are a little different than some other studies, but they tell roughly the, the the same story. A key difference between this work and most of the other work out there is that my research took the setting actually was China, uh, where there were very high levels of air pollution, and so, you know, that I think it is it easier to uh, it, it re- does not require extrapolation because it doesn't require going from what happens when you reduce air pollution at already low levels to lower levels, uh, it really examined what happens at high levels of air pollution when you get a reduction. Uh, And I I think also the fact that it was based on studies in China uh, gives it further credibility to the Chinese context.
1: Still, to reduce in the time span of seven years air pollution or the PM 2.5 index by 40 percent in seven years time Um, for a country that is China. It's still um, quite remarkable, right? I mean, for for the world to to, to imagine, Uh, the report says that China achieved this same goal in seven years, whereas other countries such as the United States needed, uh, what, 30 years or something like that? Um, Yeah, help us understand why the difference.
0: It's worth stopping and taking note of that. Uh, This 40% reduction, which was albeit from a higher level than when the United States started uh, uh, its efforts to reduce air pollution, uh, was achieved in seven years without no recessions. uh, And uh, in contrast, in the United States and Europe, it took several decades for them to achieve comparable reductions in air pollution. And it's a testament to the seriousness with which the Chinese government approached the problem.
1: Uh, According to the the data from the city of Beijing, the PM 2.5 density dropped by 50% from 2016 to 2021. Did you uh, look at the numbers for specific cities in your report, for instance, because these are significant part. There are places in China which has, you know, beautiful air, not so much of a problem of air pollution, but of course, the industrialization level is much lower. So how important are these cities in the overall national efforts?
0: Yeah. So the JJJ region was obviously a big focus uh, of the Chinese government and uh, some of the largest reductions occurred there. In the report, uh, I believe we created a table of the top 50 places uh, by population and just ranked uh, and showed how, they, uh, how large the reductions were in each one. In some places it was larger than others, but on average, uh, it was about 40%. Uh, as you said, Beijing and the JJJ region more broadly were uh, a target area. And so it's not surprising the reductions were larger there.
1: Right, and uh, that also involved a huge um, will, right, an extremely strong will to sacrifice the economy, sacrifice jobs. For instance, the steel factories in uh, in the uh, um, outskirts of Beijing completely relocated, and <laughs> we actually saw the, the sites being used for Winter Olympics, right, as, as the background. That is uh, probably a very good example. So, um, how do you look at China's contribution then to the global efforts to fight pollution, air pollution, uh, China re- reducing by 40%. So on a global level, what does that translate to?
0: China accounts for almost all of the reduction uh, globally in this period. I think the important thing to remember about particulates pollution is it's primarily a local pollutant, though. So, uh, and every country is going to f- make different trade-offs between economic growth and improvements in air quality. You know, what the AQLI uh, really is useful for underscoring is uh, even if there are costs, it's costly to move the steel plants, it's costly not to be able to do barbecue with your friends, it's costly to have more expensive winter heating, even if there are those costs, there are very tangible and important benefits. Uh, And so what I really intended the AQLI for is a way to quantify the benefits so that they weren't diffuse; they were very concrete uh, and could be contrasted readily with the uh, with the cost.
1: Mm-hmm. Can China's experience be emulated I mean, by other countries who are looking to reduce their air quality pollutants?
0: I think China can be a model for a lot of other countries in the world. Uh, and when you look around the world and you see the satellite imagery of where the particulate matter, there's a lot of it's in Asia, uh, some in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, but A lot of it is in Asia. And I think, you know, if you go back in time seven or eight years, I don't think anyone could have imagined or would have imagined that the improvements in China would have been so rapid. Uh, And in that regard, I think it is a message to the rest of the world, like this is achievable Uh, and it's not an endemic problem that has to be.
1: Thank you so much, Professor Greenstone. Keep up your good work, and uh, let's see in the next five years whether we can come back and uh, talk about still more reduction in air pollutants in China.
0: I look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: Thank you very much. and author of the Air Quality Live Index Report. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Xin, As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point.